0: So I want to begin this morning by reading an account of some events that took place in what has been referred to as the Lewis Awakening. Now, for those who are revival enthusiasts, they're going to recognize this particular movement of God. It's one that is somewhat obscure from many of the major headlines, but it is absolutely significant So I just want to read this to you. The first comes from Duncan Campbell. He was a Scottish pastor, died in 1972. And he he said, and I quote, God was beginning to move, and we were on our faces before him. At 3 a.m., God swept in. About a dozen men and women lay on the floor speechless. Something happened We knew the forces of darkness were going to be driven back and men were going to be delivered. We left the cottage at 3 a.m. to discover men and women seeking God. We walked on a country road and we found three men on their faces crying out to God for mercy. There was a light in every home. No one seemed to think of sleep. Another eyewitness to those events went on to say, When Duncan and his friends gathered at the church later that morning, the place was already crowded. A stream of buses came from every part of the island, yet no one could discover who told them to come. A butcher brought seven men from a distance of 17 miles, and all seven were gloriously converted. The Spirit of God was at work. All over the church, men and women, here it is again, were crying out to God for mercy. The meeting went on until 4 a.m. the following morning. Even then, Duncan Campbell was unable to go to bed. As he was leaving the church, a messenger summoned him to go to the local police station. There was a great spiritual distress. He found men and women on the road, others by the side of a cottage, some behind a peat stack, all crying out to God for mercy. Revival had come. That went on for five weeks with services from early in the morning until late at night or early the next morning. Then it spread to neighboring parishes. What happened in Barvas was repeated over and over and over again. Here it is, listen. The sacred presence of God's spirit was everywhere. Sacred presence of God's spirit. From the second great awakening Charles Finney, a Presbyterian pastor, said this, and I quote, the infillings of the Holy Spirit went through me, body and soul. My words seemed to fasten like barbed arrows to the souls of men. They cut like a sword, they broke the heart like a hammer. Sometimes I would find myself empty of this power, and I would go and visit and find that I made no saving impression. I would exhort and pray in the same results. I would set aside a day for private fasting and prayer. After humbling myself and crying out to God for help, the power would return upon me with all of its freshness. This has been the experience of my life. Here's a final piece. It was from the Welsh revival from back in 1904 and 1905. Quote, it was 1904. All of Wales was aflame. The nation had drifted far from God. The spiritual conditions were low indeed. Church attendance was poor. Sin abounded on every side. Suddenly, like an unexpected tornado, the Spirit of God swept over the land. The churches were so crowded that multitudes could not get in. Meetings lasted from morning until 12 at night. Nothing had ever come over Wales with such far-reaching effects Infidels were converted, drunkards, thieves, and gamblers saved. Oh, listen to this quote. And thousands reclaimed to respectability. Confessions of awful sins were heard on every side. Old debts were paid. Mules in the coal mines refused to work, being unused to kindness. In five weeks, 20,000 people joined the churches i read stories like that my prayer is oh god do it again god do do it here god may we experience that that movement of your spirit that cannot be explained with human reasoning and i recognize that we cannot manipulate a movement of god I, i understand that The Spirit of God moves in ways that we don't always understand, we can not always predict. I I get that 100%, but there's something inside of me that's like, God, help us to see that again. May may we experience a movement like that. God, do it here, and listen, listen, listen. No sooner do those words come out of my mouth, than here's the thought, do you really want that? Are you sure you want a movement of God? Because movements of God get messy. Movements of God do not fit nicely on my calendar. Movements of God, when God starts to stir the hearts of people and idols are released and bondages are broken, when God starts to move, hey, services don't get out in an hour. when when God starts to move in people's hearts and he restores relationships and he restores marriages and when he starts to move in that way here's what God began to say Paul that's going to creep in on your gardening time are you sure you want that when when we start to see what God does in scripture and what he's been doing over the years and we pray for God to move listen Prayer in a worship service becomes more than a transition to get people on and off the stage. People begin to engage God in things that they don 't always make sense. Paul, are you sure you want that and and as honest as I can be, my prayer becomes God where i 'm not willing. please make me willing god i, I don 't know what i don 't know i'm i 'm scared of things i don 't understand God but if, if your spirit so decides to move, may I not be the one sitting on the side saying, God can't do that. May, may I celebrate what the spirit is doing. Movements of God are needed, they're necessary. So it doesn't matter the time in which people look at what God has done, it, it goes all the way back to the spirit of God powerfully coming on the day of Pentecost to today. The stories of God's activity have been legendary. When you read eyewitness accounts, it doesn't matter if they're Christian or non-Christian, it's the same basic focus, and that is God was doing something. People might not be able to understand each piece, they might not be able to define everything they saw, but they understand who's behind it. They're saying God was there, God was at work, God was active. All of that leads into our big truth for this morning and also connects back to the series that we're in. We're studying these God moments, these divine encounters, and today we're studying what Scripture has to say related to God's manifest presence. So here is your big truth for this morning. We can never escape the reality of God's omnipresence, but we can lose the awareness of his manifest presence. Let me say that again. We can never escape the reality of God's omnipresence, but we can lose the awareness of his manifest presence. Let me explain what I mean by that. God is omnipresent. That that simply means he is everywhere at the same time. Regardless of whether we sense his presence, feel his presence, see his presence actively at work, he is there. He is present. Amen? Okay, that's our reality. But there are those times when God chooses to reveal himself or to manifest himself, his presence, in a way that is overt and unmistakable. It's in those moments that he brings an awareness to his people of who he is and of what he's doing. It's in those moments that we're often confronted with a different part of his character or a different part that he's wanting to do in that moment. I don't know if you, you noticed, I kept trying to emphasize in that original Lewis awakening, all, everywhere they just kept finding people calling out to God for mercy, calling out to God for mercy. There was a theme that God was bringing through that You'll often find that when God's presence is manifested in scripture, there's a part of his character, there's a piece that he's wanting to teach those at that time. When people experience God in this way, we have the ability to testify like Job did. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. It becomes personal. We need these moments. These encounters with God, they they bring a fresh awareness. They bring a renewed excitement about our walk with God. Now, take all of that and let's focus it in on our theme for this series, It's Only God. Uh, We are studying what's required to live at the intersection of God's presence and God's activity and God's favor. It is impossible for us to discuss that intersection. It's impossible to talk about those three pieces and not address the person in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because everything God is doing in this world, it is connected back to the activity in the person of the Holy Spirit. I invite you today, go with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter number four will be in verse number 31. Acts four 31. I'm speaking this morning on the subject why we seek God's manifest presence. Why we seek His manifest presence? We're, we're going to have prayer, and then from that, I'm going to begin to share stories of Acts as we work our way towards our text. So let's let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask right now, as we do week after week, may Your Spirit guide us into truth. God, apart from You turning the lights on in our mind, apart from You uh, opening our heart, apart from You bringing down barriers, Lord, we walk away unchanged. But God. We ask today, may you do your will in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've got your Bibles open to Acts chapter four, let me describe what's happened just before this. As Jesus was about to ascend back to the Father, back in Acts chapter one, he told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem for what the Father has promised. And then in verse number eight, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, disciples, they did exactly what they were supposed to do in this. They they waited and they prayed. They waited and they prayed. And as they prayed, you see the arrival of the Holy Spirit, day of Pentecost, Acts chapter two. On the day of Pentecost, there was the manifest presence of God revealed in a way that was unique and in a way that was powerful. They began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, unbelievers who were there recognized God was doing something unique in that moment, and unbelievers go back to Peter and they say, tell us what's happening, what's what's?" What's taking place here? And he preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people come to faith in Christ, day of Pentecost. Then you roll into Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, they're going to the temple for prayer. There's an emphasis prayer. Listen to the words prayer. All the way through, think prayer. They're going to the temple for prayer. A crippled man meets them on the way, and basically, he asks for money. And Peter says, I don't have silver, we don't have gold, but what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And he got up. He got up. Okay, that's different than some of the stories you hear about faith healing right now. He got up, he started walking. And and, and from this, you find that he opens an opportunity. Like people saw what happened and they're praising God and they're overwhelmed and they're also curious. And they say, where did did you get the power to do this? By what authority are you doing this? And Peter says, it's not me, it's Jesus. And he points them back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then from that, it says in chapter 3, verse 19, repent and return. So that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the lord listen repent return repent return repentance precedes the times of refreshing in the presence of the lord so the religious authorities they're disturbed by what they're seeing And they put Peter and John in jail, but the number of Jesus followers still continues to climb, 5,000 at this point. The following day, the religious leaders take them back out, and they say, by what power or in what name have you done this? Acts chapter 4, verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled, starts sharing. And he began to share about Jesus and it's the same Jesus that you crucified and they hated what he had to say. And they commanded Peter and John, stop talking about him. Do not speak in the name of Jesus. Do not teach about this. And Peter, here it is, when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you don't have fear of man. Peter boldly says we cannot stop speaking of what we have seen and what we have heard. The authorities, they let them go because they knew they couldn't stop this. And Peter and John went back to their companions, told them everything that happened. They began to pray. Here it is again. They began to pray. And it's at the end of their prayers that we get to our verse for this morning. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. These stories, they show a pattern. When when God's people pray, as, as the Holy Spirit chooses to manifest Himself among the people, incredible change occurs. Oh, this is huge, this is huge. When scripture speaks of God's manifest presence, something shifts, something changes, something happens. God does not manifest his presence for no reason. When God says, now... When God chooses to reveal a part of who he is, there's something he desires to do in that moment and through that situation and with the person or people who are involved. Something is about to change. If you were to begin to look at the stories from Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 7, just those stories alone... You'll find that the presence of the Holy Spirit brought salvation, healing, boldness, conviction, generosity, fear of the Lord, wisdom for ministry, grace in the face of death, gospel transformation, unity of believers, and so much more. The the repeated pattern of Scripture is this. Prayer often precedes God's manifest presence. Prayer often precedes God's manifest presence. People are praying, and God comes in. People are sharing their needs with God in prayer. God meets them at the point of need. Oh, but listen, listen, we got to, there's a word of caution here. Remember, we just don't take out one section. You gotta look at it through the whole of Scripture. Scripture always supersedes our personal experience. Let me say that again. Scripture always supersedes our personal experience christians are never told chase after a spiritual experience if you're just chasing after a spiritual experience something's going to make the hair on the back of your neck stand up something's going to make your liver quiver something that's going to get you all excited if you're just chasing after the next moment right there the enemy will meet you every time Every time. The enemy has no problem manifesting power in a moment in order to distract you away from what God has for us. Here's what Scripture tells us to do. Pray and pursue God. Pray, pursue God. Pray, pursue God. And here's what happens. When we pray and pursue God, often the Spirit of God chooses to manifest Himself in gentle nudges of the heart that might just be between you and the Spirit of God. And sometimes he chooses to manifest himself in ways that the world sees at one time. Either way, it's still good and it's still God. Uh, You've heard me say it before. It doesn't have to be big to be God. It just has to be God. We have to make sure that it is God who is the one that is leading. So due to the confusion about who the Holy Spirit is and, and due to the centrality of the Holy Spirit when it comes to the presence of God, the activity of God, the favor of God, we're going to ask and answer two big questions this morning i I promise this is not going to take nearly as long as what those notes look like so here's here's the first of this the the question is who is the holy spirit our next question is going to be why do we seek god's manifest presence so we're going to break the first one down into two parts the first is the person of the holy spirit that is who is he I, i need you all to hear this if you don't get anything else out of this morning please hear this The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is not the mysterious "it." The Holy Spirit is God, third person of Trinity. There is one God who has chosen to reveal Himself in three persons: Father, Son, Holy Spirit. As third person of Trinity, the Holy Spirit's attributes are largely the same as the rest of Trinity. He is eternal. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. All of this is in your notes. He thinks and knows. He speaks. He loves. He has a mind and will. Uh, He can be lied to. He can be a witness. He can be grieved the Holy Spirit is recognized by different names throughout Scripture. He is God. He is helper, teacher, comforter, counselor, and advocate. He is Lord. He, he is the Spirit in all the variations that come with that word. Spirit of God, Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of truth, Spirit of life, eternal Spirit. He is symbolized in Scripture as a dove, as wind, and as fire. So now let's talk just a moment about the ministry, the work of the Holy Spirit. It is important to see the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit as being vital to everything we need as followers of Christ. Also, notice how the Holy Spirit is vital in, in the ministry. Of Jesus and I'm not going to go through all of this I've put it in your notes so that you could look at all the references afterwards but according to Scripture the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus to preach the gospel assures believers of salvation authored Scripture baptizes believers into one body you can keep going down he empowers the believer fills the believer gives gifts to the believer glorifies Christ guides us into all truth he helps us in our weaknesses According to what we find in Scripture, he leads the believer and liberates the believer. He produces fruit in the life of the believer. He's the one who provides victory over the flesh for the believer. All of this is the work of the Holy Spirit. He sanctifies the believer, seals the believer, strengthens the believer, helps us in our worship. Like All the way down through there, can you see how vital the Holy Spirit is to the life and the maturity of a child of God? Absolutely vital. Samuel Chadwick, a Methodist preacher, summed it up concisely. The Christian religion is hopeless without the Holy Ghost. Jim Cimbala said, and I quote, without the Holy Spirit, we are like the disciples before Pentecost, sincere but struggling with confusion and defeat. We need the Holy Spirit. So, the Bible has incredible clarity about the nature and the work and the attributes and the mission of the Holy Spirit. But that still doesn't mean that all of the confusion is gone. Depending upon what group of Christians you hang around, there's part of the Christian group that they're so afraid of the Holy Spirit, they ignore the Holy Spirit completely. And then you've got another group that's so focused on the Holy Spirit that they bypass the stated mission of the Holy Spirit in the Word. So, so where's the balance in this? As always, we, we can only go to the Word of God and find our answers. So here's what we know based on Scripture. We know the Holy Spirit is God. He is God in nature, in attributes, in ability, and in essence. As God, we cannot ignore him, we need to understand what he does. There's no doubt about that. But listen, we also know that a major part of the mission of the Holy Spirit is to glorify and testify and point people back towards Jesus. Think of it like this, the Holy Spirit has a spotlight ministry. A spotlight ministry. Here's what I mean by that. When spotlighting is done well, you don't focus on the lights, you focus on what they illuminate. The lights make visible what would have been missed by darkness. They maximize the beauty of what has been displayed. The Spirit's message through scripture is never, look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me. The consistent message is, look to Jesus. Listen to Jesus, go to Jesus, get to know Jesus. We need to know the Holy Spirit. We need to understand who he is in the word, but at the same time, when the Holy Spirit's message is, keep the focus on Jesus, keep the focus on Jesus, keep the focus on Jesus, guess what? We need to keep the focus on Jesus. So why do we seek God's manifest presence? Go back to our big truth for this morning. We can never escape the reality of God's omnipresence, but we can lose the awareness of his manifest presence. I, I want to emphasize the word awareness here. It's, it's an awareness that God does something in that moment. He reveals himself in a way. He manifests his power in a way that we are more aware of what we already know to be true. We already know he's there we already know he's omnipresent but there's that moment in which he makes us more aware more discernible by our senses it's in those moments of awareness when god's presence is more easily recognized that we get to know god in personal and often experiential ways it's in those moments that our faith is strengthened, that our hearts are encouraged. It's in those moments that our spiritual journey is infused with new hope. Those are often the moments that we look back on and we say, God met me here. Now was God always there? Yes, but something unique happened in that moment. When people are asking the question like, how is God real to you? We go back to those moments where God has manifested his presence, his power, his attributes in a certain way. And you're like, you don't know what he's done for me, but here's how he healed me. This is how he provided in my life. This is where my heart was broken and he met me in my quiet time with him. You might not know the same thing I know, but this is what he has done for me. It's it's those moments that we're talking about. When when the next generation comes through and they're saying, is he real? It's those moments that we met with God along the way that we say, oh, not only is he real, I can testify to what he has done. Could it be, could it be, could it be that a part of the reason we lack the testimony to boldly proclaim is because we're unwilling to recognize the fact that unless he shows up, we don't even have a story. Could, could it be that's, that the world out there is still saying, you keep talking church, you talk religion, but show me, show me what it is that he's done in your life. It, it needs to be that when the people of God have, have experienced the power, the presence, the manifest presence of God, it needs to be that we are the fastest people out the door to say, can I tell you what God has done? Like 12 o'clock tonight, some of this is going to lock in and you're going to come up out of your bed like, amen, Paul, amen. It's okay. It's okay. It still works even at that point. Here's the thing. If we are not careful when we describe the, the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit, we find ourselves in a place where we either try to put God in a box and say, unless he acts like a Baptist. It can't be God. Watch out. Unless he moves like a charismatic, maybe it's not God. Do do you know the reason I put in quotes from different denominational pastors is because I want you to see from Presbyterians to Methodists to non-denominational people. When God is moving, the testimony is the same. And here's what they want to lead you back to. Go back to the Word. Go back to the Word. Go back to the Word. It needs to line up with what Scripture is saying. So I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best to try to share a story as we close out. A a story that, Lord willing, will, will show what I'm trying to describe. This is a story that that a while back I attended a worship service. Unbelievably incredible church, but God gave me a front row seat to see the difference between his omnipresence and his manifest presence. And and it was like learning in real time. So I'm gonna try my best to set this up. It was in the music portion of the service. Unbelievably skilled musicians incredible worship facility there were songs that were hymns that were sung there were contemporary songs that were sung there was people from every age demographic you could think about in the room young people middle-aged people senior adults and for the first 3 songs i sat there and i watched as no one was engaged and I, I say that generally. I'm sure there were some in the room, but when you looked around, it was straight face. It was no singing. It, it was people standing there motionless with a cup of coffee in their hands. And it was song after song that kept going through. And I, it, it grabbed me because knowing the demographics of age and knowing that there were hymns and contemporary songs, I just, I was taken back because I would have thought that when a hymn was sung, the older crowd would have engaged. I would have thought that when a more contemporary song was done, the, the younger crowd would have been more engaged. But on this one, no one was engaged. Just, they just stood there. And then something happened at a fourth song. At a fourth song, there was a young lady, probably early 20s, who got up to lead a song. She wasn't even a member of the church. She actually was in from out of town. She helps lead worship at a church in California. And that fourth song, she steps into the the stage, her head's down. As best I can remember, her eyes didn't even open up through the entire song, and she sang a contemporary song that it was like three weeks on the radio like it's that fresh that new and when she sang inside of about the first 20 seconds I looked around the room and coffee cups went down hands came up tears started streaming senior adults worshiping young people worshiping middle-aged people worshiping I looked around, and it was such a stark difference between what I just saw a few moments ago to what I was seeing right now. I was having a hard time computing, but here's the thing I knew. The band didn't change. The crowd did not change. All of the songs that they sang were theologically correct, correct. There was not a moment where they tried to create something and say, hey, if you'll do this, then the Spirit of God would come. There was none of that. All it was was this little girl up there with a humble attitude, no diva, anything going on, head down, worshiping the King of Kings, and all of a sudden, it's like the Spirit of God fell on that place. And all of a sudden, it hit me. Unless the presence of God... Unless the presence of God is saturating the body of Christ. I am going to get up and preach, and it's going to be nothing but words. We are going to sing, it's going to be nothing but music. We are going to go out and to serve, and it's going to be nothing but activity. We are going to do our best, and our best is not going to be good enough. But what's going to happen is when God's people recognize the necessity of the Spirit of God manifesting His power, manifesting His presence, ushering us into a moment that we cannot explain sometimes, when we see the significance of this, here's what will happen. It will humble us to our core. It takes the strut off when we walk into church. We look around and it's like, we don't rest on the fact that as long as we build a building, they're gonna come. I'm I'm reminded of a pastor. Pastor's the largest church in the world. It's in in South Korea, like 1.5 million members. And when he came to the US and was touring the different churches, his comment was, It's amazing what man can accomplish without the work of the Holy Spirit. What what happens in those moments? Here's, Here's the thing. Unless God does something, we got nothing to offer. Unless God is at work in your marriage, you cannot change it yourself. Unless he gets after your kids, you cannot change them yourself. Unless God so descends upon discipleship groups and brings a fire for the word and a fire for discipleship, unless God so moves in this place that we're burdened for prayer and we're burdened for sin, unless God does does those things, we're not going to be able to do it. And in, until we recognize that we will keep striving and keep working and keep doing our best, saying, "Is that enough? Is that enough? Oh, but there's power when what the little we have is submitted to him here's my thing: if God doesn't do it, you and I definitely can't. So we're going to close out the service I, I this is just seeing what God's going to do in this moment. We're going to close out the service, and here's what I'm asking. I'm asking if you get a glimpse of this burden that God has to do it, would you start prayer this morning on that? Don't, don't wait and say, I'll pray about that later. Let me process that at another time. Start this morning on that. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about 10,000 strong and and us asking that God would bring 10,000 people together who would be willing to pray at least 10 minutes a month over 10 specific needs of Sherwood. We did not put that out because we wanted to give extra activity to people. It is in desperation for the fact if God does not move, we have nothing to offer. So I'm gonna ask if the pastors and pastor's wives, if you all would begin to make your way forward, our counselors make their way forward, I, I'm gonna ask those of you right now that you've been a member of Sherwood for a while, I'm gonna ask that you immediately start praying, would God do his work in this room? I'm gonna ask that as others are just working with what God's doing in your heart, let today be the day that we're saying, God, apart from you, we've got nothing. So I'm gonna ask right now, all heads bow. People are already moving, some coming to the altar right now. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, May we recognize again the significance of your Holy Spirit. May we not try to conjure up a movement. May we not try to go beyond the stated mission of the Spirit of God. But Lord, we recognize unless you move, we have nothing. So God, at this time, I pray for those that are hurting and those that are broken. Lord, may they find encouragement and hope in this message that only you can do the work. God, I'm praying for marriages right now that are on the rocks. Lord, may you be the one to do the work. I'm praying, God, for those kids and grandkids that have walked away, those that are distant from you right now, and there's a burdened grandparent who's been on their knees praying, Lord, would you infuse encouragement into their heart today that they're on the right track. God, I pray that your spirit would do what only you choose to do in this place, and we will be careful to give you the praise and the glory for what happens. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask if you would stand with me right now there's already people that are at the front there's going to be a a final song that we're singing you can pray where you're at you might want to join those that are already along the front the issue is don't resist what the spirit of god's leading you to do it doesn't matter if everybody else understands it doesn't matter if everybody else does not know what why you're praying or why you have a need i encourage you today follow the promptings of the spirit of god